0: You can all have well, uh, we're kind of going old school today, had some technical difficulties with the wireless mic, so uh, just bear with me as we go through this, uh, uh, trying not to like eat the mic or spit on it or anything like that, uh, but would you bow with me before we start? God, we uh, just thank you that we're able to be here today, God to be able to worship you, God, to declare that You are alive, and Father, that You are well. God, we just pray that, that today, as we study Your Word, um, Father, that we would be that we would be taught by Your Spirit. Um, God, that it would not be man's wisdom, but that it would be the wisdom of God uh, that teaches us today. Father, um, we just again thank You that we're able to study Your Word so easily, and Father, we pray that it changes us as we encounter it today pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So if you have your Bible, your smartphone, whatever it is you choose to use the Bible on, uh, please go to Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 36. Now as as you go there, I want to ask you a question. Um, Have you ever had the opportunity to meet somebody who is famous, somebody who is influential, maybe somebody you looked up to? Um, Depending on who that person is, um, we all have different reactions to them depending on what they mean to us. Now, for example, um, if you were to put Justin Bieber and uh, 10, 13-year-old girls and myself in the same room, you'd have different reactions. Um, The 13-year-old girls, through their incessant screaming, this is what I guess they they mean when they continuously scream and never stop. Um, Justin Bieber, you are so dreamy, what a bad boy, in somewhat of a good way. I want to marry you and you will be the father of all my children. That's what I, I guess they mean from all that screaming. Um, My reaction would be different. My reaction to that would be, well, Justin, I can't argue that you're very talented, very gifted, but at the same time, you've kind of been a punk lately, so maybe it's time to grow up and pull up your pants. And it just shows you I'm becoming a crotch old man before my time. But if you were to switch that situation around, you put uh, Billy Graham in place, Of Justin Bieber. Billy Graham, possibly the greatest evangelist of our time, um, just has done some amazing things for God. You put him in the room, I would be sitting there and just hang on every one of his words as he taught, as he he told stories of his life, of the people he got to meet. Now those girls, I imagine, they'd kind of be like, well, who is this old man? Um, Why doesn't he stop talking and can I go home yet? And so you would see there would be different reactions to the same person, depending on what that person meant to us. The same thing happened for Jesus. People reacted to him in different ways all the time. So we're going to start in verse 36 of Luke 7. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, She brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. And so we learn later on in this text that this man's name uh, is Simon, Simon the Pharisee. And a Pharisee is somebody who knows God's word, knows God's laws, he studied them, he can teach them to other people. And Pharisees usually did a pretty good job of obeying God's laws. So Simon invites Jesus, the traveling rabbi, the traveling teacher, to his home for a meal. It's most likely a special banquet in Jesus' honor and this was pretty common for people to do to invite the traveling teacher to their house and so jesus goes to his home for this meal now when we have a special meal if we have a banquet or something like that it's usually invitation only Uh, if you're not my family if you're not my friends if you don't have an invitation and you show up to this special meal you're not going to get in i'm sorry you just don't it was different in the jewish culture though If you were invited, yes, you got a seat at the table, but the doors were left wide open. So anybody, literally anybody, could wander into your home and watch you and your guests eat your meal and listen to that conversation. I know this sounds riveting, um, but but there wasn't much to do back then in that culture. There was no TV, no movies, no real source of entertainment, so this might have been as entertaining as it got. Now Simon is at the table with his guests, with Jesus there, and I imagine he sees this woman come in. She's heard that Jesus is in town, that Jesus is at Simon's house, and so she wants to go see Jesus. And Simon sees her her wandering and he recognizes this woman. Everybody recognizes this woman because she's known as a sinner. She's known as an immoral woman, which tells us that this woman is most likely a prostitute or something along those lines. Now, Simon is uncomfortable with her presence. Uh, he doesn't really want her in his home, but at the same time, uh, he's not gonna cause a disturbance. He's not gonna make a fuss about it. And he's just hoping they're gonna be able to get through the meal without any major disturbances. Now think about life like this, when you have kind of a person that's in your presence that you're nervous about. Uh, if you have a special person, um, maybe it's somebody significant, somebody important to you, a boyfriend or a girlfriend, a fiance, and you're introducing them to your family for the first time. Um, you're, you're taking them to the family reunion, and you're excited for them to meet everyone. Until you hear that your crazy relative is going to be there, um, the, the aunt, who, who has an iPad for some reason, doesn't know how to use it at all, and, and she, she just takes that iPad and sticks it in people's face and like just takes weird, pictures of them. Um, You hear that she's going to be there and you're just going, please don't do anything weird or awkward that's going to embarrass me or my guest. Now I imagine you guys can think of a a family member like that, that black sheep in the family. And if you can't, um, my, my recommendation to you is next family gathering, just sit in the corner don't say or do anything. Because you were probably that weird relative. <laughs> now, Simon doesn't have. Um life Simon doesn't get away with his wish for no major disturbances this woman uh, comes up behind Jesus at the table now as the men are at the table what they are they're, they're reclining on couches basically they're laying on their stomachs or on their sides and their heads are at the table and their feet are sticking up towards the wall and this woman comes behind Jesus and she kneels at his feet and tears are, are, are streaming down her face falling on his feet and these are tears of gratitude tears of Thankfulness, And as they fall on Jesus' feet, it begins to wash the dirt and the dust from travel off. Now the woman does something that's pretty scandalous, pretty faux pas in Jewish culture. She lets down her hair. And I know it doesn't sound like that big of a deal, uh, but this was considered an erotic and, and shameful act to do in public. It would be like a woman taking off her top in public nowadays. He just didn't do it. So the woman lets down her hair and she wipes Jesus' feet, she's wiping the dirt off, she's drying his feet with her hair. And then she takes very expensive perfume and she pours it on Jesus' feet and she kisses his feet and pours more perfume and kisses his feet over and over and over again. Now we have to understand that the woman is not doing this as an erotic act. It's not anything sexual, she's not flirting with Jesus but what she's doing here is an act of worship. But in Simon's mind, and we, we get this clearly from the text. This woman is in the wrong place at the wrong time, doing the wrong thing. Now, can you imagine the tension that would be building in this room as the prostitute touches the feet of the rabbi, and she's let her hair down, and she's, she's just waving and kissing that would be pretty tense. People would be looking at Jesus going, how are you going to handle this one, Rabbi? It would be kind of like, well, imagine a stripper came into our worship service. And she's, she's in her stripper garb, her uniform, her, her costume. I honestly don't know the correct terminology. But she comes into our worship service and it's clear that she's a stripper. And she sits in the front row and everybody's like, that's a stripper. In worship. And so everybody would be looking at the pastors, um, most likely Greg, because I'd be looking at Greg too, going, How are you going to handle this one? What are you going to do? I'm interested to see. Um, And that's what people are doing with Jesus. They're going, How are you going to handle this sinful woman? Now, Simon is disgusted with this woman and her actions. She's, she's an immoral prostitute in his home. Um, she's touching the rabbi, and she's ruined his dinner party. All these nice things have, have gone for naught. But he's also shocked at Jesus' behavior, because he's saying, if this man is really a prophet, he would know what type of woman is touching him, and he would stop her, because she's a sinner. And, you know what? Jesus acknowledges it. He says, uh, she is a sinner. She has many sins. But Jesus also proves to Simon that he is a prophet. Because he says, Simon, I've got a feeling I know what's on your mind. Um, Let me tell you a little story. So beginning at verse 41 of Luke 7. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people. 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven, so she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little only shows little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, "'Your sins are forgiven.'" The men at the table said among themselves, "Who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins?" And Jesus said to the woman, "Your faith has saved you. Go in peace." Now Simon's always viewed himself as a little sinner. Uh, Simon's done well in obeying God's laws. In 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 God, this parable that Jesus tells, uh, Simon would be the man with the smaller debt. Simon's never done anything that's terribly sinful. He's never done anything that's really violated God's commands. So in Simon's mind he's good with God. Um, he's righteous. He and God are, are have a good relationship because Simon has done well at obeying God's commands. And when he, he compares himself to this woman or people like her he's like, you know what, I'm really really good. God must be impressed. And verses 47 again uh, Simon's not wrong. This this woman has a lot of sin in her life, but Jesus also says that she will be forgiven. But in Simon's mind, she's untouchable. She's unforgivable. Now, in a text like this, we have to ask, who do I who do I identify with most? And don't shout this out, please. Um, but am I am I most like Simon, or am I more like the woman? Do I look at my life and say, man, I am good. Look at all these commands I'm able to to keep. I I do a really good job with God's commands. Or do I look at my life in light of God's word and see that there are areas in my life that I still need God's grace to transform me in? Do I do that? And just to kind of give you a gauge, um, how would you react if you went up to the local Starbucks there on Lacewood and you saw our, our lead pastor, uh, Greg Nicholson, meeting with a woman who was just a well-known prostitute in the city. Um, everybody knows this woman is a prostitute. How would you react? Would it be, uh, Greg, what are you doing? Your reputation, what will people think if they see you? Or would it be, you know what? That's kind of cool. God might be doing something... In her life, is how would you react if that same prostitute came into worship and sat in the seat next to you? Would she be welcome at Halifax Christian Church? And if we're not convinced that our righteousness only comes through Jesus Christ and not through our good works, we can start to act or think a lot like Simon, who thought of himself as a pretty good guy because he performed well in accordance to God's commands. And he looked down on others who could not do the same. And it's easy to look at somebody who has uh, a very visible sin and and label them. Label them a sinner and conclude, you know what? Uh, You're beyond hope. You're not even worthy of help. We can dehumanize people really easily and believe that they're beyond the grace of God. That they're so far gone that God himself could not even save them. It's easy. We can see a guy and say, that's the man who drinks too much. He's a drunk. That's the girl who sleeps around and give her a nice derogatory turn. We can see the boy who's hooked on drugs, the man who's an adulterer, um, the woman who's a deadbeat mom, and the boy who's openly gay. We can just label them so easily, and without realizing realizing it, we're, we're judging them. And then we start to distance ourselves from them so that we're not associated with them, that we don't look guilty or sinful by proximity. We can look at them and say, you know what? That's just too dirty. I'm not touching that. I'm not going near that. And Simon thinks of himself, who's, who's lived well according to God's word. Again, it sounds like I'm just a little sinner. And little sinners, they, they look at how well they perform with God's word, how well they keep God's commands and they say, you know what, I'm doing so well that I think God owes me. God owes me heaven. God owes me salvation because I've done a really good job. And so forgiveness of sin is something that God has to give you because of your performance, and it's no longer a, grace, a gift of grace. God becomes in your debt, and He's not <laughs> a gracious gift giver in Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 2, verses 2 to 4. Jesus is speaking to the church in Ephesus here. He says this, I know all the things that you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. And the church in Ephesus, it, it sounds like a good church when you read about it in Scripture. And Jesus commends and he says, you're doing good work, you're doing hard work. He says, when teachers come, you test them to make sure they're the real deal, that they've got good teaching. He says, when hard times come, you guys persevere. And so, I mean, do- good doctrine and perseverance in hard times, we say, that's not just a good church, that's an awesome church. But yet Jesus says, I have a problem with you guys. You've lost your first love. You don't love God. You don't love other people like you did at first. (laughs) And what a text like this is telling us is that we can be doing all the right things, but still lack love. Have a love that's gone cold for God. I could have 52 gold stars in my calendar for every Sunday I've been in church. I, I could have uh, my records that show you, you know what? I've tithed faith, faithfully. I've gone beyond. I could I could show you my calendar and see like, look at every spare minute. I've, I've used it to serve other people. But Jesus says, you know what? Your love can still be cold. You can still lack love. <clears throat> Have you ever heard somebody tell uh, their testimony, their story of how... Uh, they came to meet God, how they came to be saved. And when they tell you their story, you're just like, your jaw drops because you can't believe it. Um, like, I feel like some people have been like, yeah, I started drinking every morning at 8 a.m. and when I stopped at 5 a.m. the same morning, I smoke a pack a day. Um, I was with a different girl every night. I, I was in the Hells Angels and I was wanted for murder in seven provinces. And then around my 13th birthday, God got his hands on me and saved me and I haven't looked back. Um, I know that seems extreme and I've not really heard that testimony. Um, I've heard some that seem that, like that. But, but you hear these stories of people who were so deep in sin, who, who seemed so lost and you looked at their lives and you're like, you know what, I, I don't know how God would pull a person out of this situation. But then it seems like in a miraculous way, God gets his hands on these people and he pulls them out of these situations. He saves them and they tell this story. And again, your jaw drops and you're just like, my story does not sound anything like that. No wonder you're so in love with God. We find our, ourselves rationalizing our behavior, our attitude, and just saying, I, I'm just not that affectionate in my life, in, in my in my love for Jesus because well I've only needed a little forgiveness I'm only a little sinner and to think like that that we haven't sinned enough for extreme love or gratitude to be shown towards Jesus it is, is like saying I'm not that bad so I've only been forgiven little so I only need to love little we need to hear this the problem for a love gone cold the problem for lack of love Is never going to be because you haven't sinned enough. That will never be a problem. The problem for love gone cold, for lack of love, is the realization that you are more of a sinner than you actually realize. You need to be forgiven for far more than you realize. And that's just coming from one sinner to another. But we try and defend ourselves. Will say, I'm not that bad, I'm only a little sinner. Uh, look, look at how good I am compared to that guy. And you know what, you might look good in comparison to other people by human standards. Um, here's an illustration. If you put me out on a, a basketball court with a seven-year-old, I'm going to look awesome. I'll be blocking all his shots. I'll go up and dunk on his eight-foot net. I'll strut around the court going, you know what? I'm the best basketball player there is. Nobody's, nobody's better than me. You put me on that same court with an NBA player. Put me out there with LeBron James. The only time I'll touch that ball is after he's autographed it and handed it to me. I would suck in comparison to LeBron James. And I, I can do this in my life. I can look at other people and say, you know what? Look at, my, look at how I perform compared to them. What a sinner. How righteous am I? But then I take and I compare my life to God's standards. And I get what the Apostle Paul says. I am the worst of sinners. He just sees that he falls short of God's standard over and over and over again. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's saying you put anybody's life up against God's standard (coughs) and nobody's going to come out with a passing grade. We all fail. And in Jesus' parable of the moneylender, he says both men had debt that they could not pay. We can't miss the fact that regardless of the size of the debt, neither one could pay the man back. And in our eyes, there's always going to be people who are worse, who've done far worse but that doesn't change the fact that you owe a debt that you cannot afford to pay back. Regardless how big somebody else's debt is, you're still in debt. You've got nothing in the bank account to pay him back with. And What God does for us in Jesus Christ is like a banker walking up to us when we can't pay our mortgage. And instead of foreclosing on our home, he pulls out his personal checkbook and he writes a check. And it pays off the debt. Or debt-free. And God is that banker. And this woman understood that Jesus paid and had canceled her debt. And this led her to worship. But Simon, Simon didn't get this. Simon's scrounging for change. He's, he's looking for good works and trying to pay back God with that, not realizing that it will be never be enough. And this this led Simon to be judgmental, to be legalistic, to be insecure in his salvation. Simon's pounding up check after check after check, trying to send them God's way, but he has no idea that they're all going to bounce. Matt Chandler um, is the pastor at the Village Church in Dallas, Texas, Um, and he tells a story of when he was a college freshman. He, he says that he was in a class, and a girl came and sat down next to her, they got chatting. And he learns that this is a 26-year-old single mother, never been in church in her life, trying to get her life back on track after making some mistakes. Um, and so Matt and his friends kind of befriend her and start to, to share about Christ with her. And Matt hears uh, also at this time that she's in an extramarital affair, so that gives them more stuff to kind of work on. Um, but he hears that his friend is coming into town to lead worship at a special uh, service for high schoolers and for college students. And so Matt thinks this is going to be a good opportunity to kind of introduce her to church. So he invites her, and reluctantly she says, yes, I'll go. And they get there, and the worship's awesome. She, she seems to be enjoying herself, and, and Matt's happy. He's going, yes, this is going well. But then the minister gets up. And his opening line is, tonight I want to talk to you about sex. And Matt's, Matt's going, oh no, why this? Why, why, why tonight? And so the minister pulls out a long stem red rose and, and he smells it and it smells good. And he, he's just feeling the flower. He says, look at this, isn't it beautiful? I, I, I enjoy this. You know what, I want everybody to enjoy it. And he tosses that flower into the first row. And he says, I want everybody here to feel it, to touch it, to enjoy its beauty. See how beautiful it is. And so that flower goes row by row through this room that has probably about a 1,000 students in it. And the minister proceeds to talk about sex, um, which was just a tragic mishandling of the topic of sex in a biblical way, because he just used uh, fear-mongering mostly. He was like, you don't want syphilis, do you? Um, everybody's smiling and having a good time until you've got herpes, um, and so that was the thrust of his message. Instead of talking about the beauty of sex within marriage as God created it and intended it to be, and so as he's wrapping up uh, his message, coming to his big point, he says, "Where's my rose? Where's my rose? Somebody bring me my rose." And some high school kid comes up on stage, and he's got the rose, but it's, its stem is broken, it's missing petals, it's wilted. It's just not a beautiful rose anymore. It's unattractive. And so the minister's big point was to hold up the rose and say, who would want this? Who would want this rose? He said, nobody wants somebody who's been used. Nobody wants damaged goods you will be worthless. How could somebody possibly love something like this? And Matt talks about having this extreme anger and just holding himself back with everything he could because he just wanted to stand up and shout that Jesus wants that. Jesus wants the rose. And that minister missed the beauty of the gospel that night. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 Verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The minister missed it. My prayer is that you never feel unwanted by Christ because of the things that you've done in your life, but that you would realize he is desperate for you. I pray that as people encounter us, we're never sending the message that they're unwanted. As people come to Halifax Christian Church, that we never send this message that because of the things you've done, you're damaged goods. You're unlovable. Nobody would want that. But instead that they would realize that Jesus loves the rose, that Jesus is desperate for the rose, that Jesus died to buy back the damaged rose. The woman in Luke's text shows us that sinners, and even the most notorious sinners, can be forgiven. That they can have grace. Even though our sins might be many, God can forgive them. And sinners and hurting people in the the Bible, they loved Jesus. Because when they came to Him for help, He never said, go do this, go do something that you can't do without the grace of God. He didn't excuse sin. But he always helped somebody who was sincerely looking for it. He didn't say, become righteous and then you'll be forgiven. He didn't take salvation, forgiveness in heaven and hold it above people's heads and say, you know what? Go home, clean up your life, come back and then we'll talk about these things. You might be able to have them. When people came to Jesus looking for help, he would ask them a simple question. Do you believe? Do you have faith? And Jesus says to us today that salvation, forgiveness for sin is available. Do you believe? Do you have faith? Do you believe that I am the Christ? Do you believe that my work is sufficient? The scripture tells us if we believe, the reaction is, repent, stop sinning. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. In doing that, you're forgiven. And on top of that, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit who helps us become more and more like Jesus, who helps us do good works, who helps us love God, and helps us love other people. Only in Jesus is the debt paid and are we saved. That's the only way. How do we appropriately respond to Jesus knowing all of this? Just like the woman did. We worship. We're going to do that here. But if you have any questions, as always, Please speak to me or to Greg. And we'd love to talk to you more about that. We're always available after the service. But would you bow with me now? Father God, we just thank you for Jesus. And God does. He would die for something that was broken, for something that was damaged. That he's desperate for it. God, may we never believe the lie that is what I do. It's all about what you've done. It declares me forgiven, saved, righteous. God, we just thank you for that. We pray this in Jesus' name.